My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Hello, my name is Mandy Zucker. I'm the host of the Morning Meeting Podcast. Today on the show, I am speaking with Michelle Post about organ donation and why it's so important for young people to be thinking about it. In 2019, Michelle left her corporate managerial role to create a thriving private practice psychotherapy and consulting business. She also has written numerous articles, created workbooks and curriculums, and served as an expert witness. Now she leads grief groups, self-care retreats, various workshops, and consults in the U.S. and abroad. And she also co-hosts a weekly podcast called Getting Your Shit Together in a Stressed World with her co-host, Scott Grossberg. You can read more about her professional credentials at www www.postinternationalinc.com and at www.postfamilycounseling.com. Fun fact, Michelle likes to have fun to the point that her friends nicknamed her LA home the magical Fun Palace. I am hoping to get there soon and check it out myself. I'll report back to all of you. But for now, enjoy our conversation about organ donation. So, Michelle, thank you so much for coming to the Morning Meeting Podcast. I'm so happy to have you. Oh, I am honored to be with you, Mandy. I'm super excited that you've started this. And it's great with all of our times getting to see each other at the National Alliance for Grieving Children Conference. It's it's nice to be able to do something different together. I know. <laughs> and we both have podcasts. So why don't yes. we just start with like, tell everybody what you're doing. Sure. Sure. So I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist out of California. So most of my private practice clients are California based, even though everything's online now. But I started a podcast with a coach and lawyer friend of mine, Scott Grossberg. It's called Keeping Your Shit Together in a Stressed World with Michelle and Scott. We want to do something to help people with stress and anxiety that doesn't have geographical bounds. And so we started the podcast. And then everything shut down and we had this whole home retreat, which I'm sure everybody's sick of having home retreats because, you know, I love to travel and that's been a real loss for me during the pandemic. And I, through my post-international Inc. business, I do destination retreats for companies that need either stress management or team building. And then I put on my own for people that are just looking for stress management and they can be people who are grieving or people that work in really heavy industries or just healthcare or whatever. And all of that shut down in the course of the pandemic. So we do have a home retreat. I think it's called get your shit together home retreat. (laughs) I think that's the name of our home retreat. So people could reach out to me through my website if they were interested, but mostly it's been during the pandemic, it's been online counseling with clients that have grief, loss, or trauma and periodic training of professionals or or lay people through things like podcasting or conferences that have been held online. So that's kind of what I've been up to the last couple of years. Yes. <laughs> and I think I actually had reached out to you 
because of your work that you had done prior to. Oh, yes. Yes, yes. Yes. um, With organ donation. Yes, yes. And that seems to be a passion project of yours too. Absolutely. Thank you for reminding me of uh, the purpose of our topic today. <laughs> so I worked for the, the world's largest organ, eye and tissue donation agency, which just happened to be in Southern California. It's called One Legacy. And they had me develop and manage their bereavement program for the loved ones of deceased people that had become an organ eye or tissue donor. So we did phone counseling, video counseling, uh, groups through Facebook Live, (laughs) anything we could do to reach the donor, what we call donor families in the field to help support them on their grief journey. It continues to be something that I'm involved with and consult with on a a national basis. I'd love to talk a little bit about organ donation and podcast is really dedicated to young adults and some young adults may be thinking, why would I even be thinking about that? Right. I am 18, 20 years old. Why should I be thinking about organ donation at this point? Right. It's a really good question. So fascinatingly, the ability for someone to die in a way that allows them to become a donor means that most of the organ donors, tissue donors, and cornea donors out there are young, healthy people that did not expect to die. Okay. So they ate cereal in the morning and something happened along the day that caused their their death that rushed them to the hospital and had them on life support machines until their brain died. And that is an activator for the local organ eye and tissue donation agency to see, oh, this family has an opportunity to donate. And the reason why that's so important is as soon as your heart stops beating, your internal organs die and they are not transplantable. You have to die in a way that you are hospitalized and what we call mechanically ventilator supported. So classically, we're looking at people who had some sort of accident, motorcycle accident, car accident, aneurysm, some sort of random stroke that was unexpected or heart attack that was unexpected. And their heart was alive and continued to beat, but the brain died. Sometimes it can be some sort of brain injury that is like a fall. Somebody falls off a ladder and hurts their head. Or in the case of really traumatic situations, it can be uh, murder or suicide um, through asphyxiation or or something that cuts off oxygen flow to the brain. And therefore you've got a really young person that otherwise is very healthy and has healthy organs, but their brain died and they cannot be revived. It's not the same as coma. That's a really important thing to know. Some people think, oh, they're on life support and we have to make the decision. It's not the same as coma. When you're, when you're in a coma, your brain nerves still respond. You know, your pupils will restrict. You'll respond to pain sensations in your ear uh, or on your eyes, et cetera. And, and they can tell if your brain is hurt, but still functioning, meaning you're still alive. Yes. But once your brain dies, there's nothing that anyone can do to revive you. Okay. So that's why older people who tend to die from more 
chronic or terminal illnesses like cancer, you're not going to be a candidate for organ donation because if you have cancer throughout your body, Mm -hmm. you don't want to donate those ill organs to another person. Because that or that organ can spread cancer into a person that's already struggling for life. Like you want to remember that someone who needs an organ transplant is so, so sick. Their, their life is threatened. Their kidney is going to stop because diabetes has ravished their body and just the whole dialysis process has really worn them down and they really need a kidney at this point. Right. Or their liver liver disease is is one of the worst because it happens fast. The onset is fast, and suddenly you're listed for an organ on the wait list, or you will die. Um, of course, lungs and heart they also are very vital, and but there's not a lot that you can do to sustain somebody who needs a lung transplant or an organ transplant. Liver for sure is the most urgent. Someone can be healthy one day. Like uh, one of our volunteers at One Legacy who publicly tells her story, um, she's such a beautiful speaker. She was pregnant with a young woman pregnant with her her child. And because of the pregnancy, her body turned toxic and she started feeling really sick and they rushed her to the hospital and her baby died, which helped them to find out that her liver had gone into failure as a result of the toxins it was processing from her pregnancy. So then suddenly she is unconscious and her husband has to make the decision that yes, she needs a liver. And thankfully the right blood type match and everything happened at the right time for her sad on the other side for the family, because somebody experienced the death of of their loved one, but that liver saved her life. She was not able to save the baby, but her, her baby, her baby's death. She talks about her, her baby being her first angel because her baby died to help save her life. And then her second angel is her liver donor. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. And it it is that fast. And now with um, tissue donation or cornea donation, someone can still has to be pretty healthy and usually is a young adult or a middle-aged adult, sometimes an older adult, there's not really age limits on cornea or tissue donation. Um, Little, little weird scientific fun fact is the older your skin is, the more skin doctors really love it because it's quite elastic Ah. and it stretches and it helps more people. Ah. The younger your skin is, the less they like it because it's tough and it's, (laughs) so when it comes to skin donation, like they don't take your whole skin. It's more like patches off your back or your upper legs um, that they repair, but that helps people with Breast reconstruction is one of the biggest uses of skin donation or burn victims is a second use. A, a third use is people that are have hernias mm. and need a wall built to, to contain their internal organs or babies that are born with herniated defects that need an abdominal wall built. So it's, it's a lot of gory details. It might be too much for the audience. <laughs> I'll stop. But <laughs> my point is that as long as you don't have diseases and you're identified in time and your family says yes in time, or you've registered on the, on the registry, cornea donation and tissue donation doesn't have to be from somebody hospitalized on a ventilator. Got it. So about 30% of the deaths that happen could potentially be a tissue or cornea donor, but half of 1% of all the deaths that happen can be an organ donor. It's that rare. Wow. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, you know, fortunately, young people tend not to die at the same rate as older people, but young people, the number one cause of death of young people is accidents. Accidents. So it does make sense that those are the people that we're going to want for organ donation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's happened suddenly, they're healthy, they're able to donate. And I mean, many high schools now have donation education programs out there. So quite a few even high schoolers register their wishes, but those have to be honored by their parents until they're 18. Okay. Many young adults decide upon their driver's license because there's a little box that you check at the DMV. Do I want to be a donor? Do I not want to be a donor? And they will sign up to be a donor because they've gotten a driver's license, mm-hmm. right? And they've had to make that decision on their own for the first time. And if you're over 18, your decision will be honored as if it's sort of like a will. Mm-hmm. So let's say you wrote in a will, I want to leave my favorite book collection to my cousin, Joe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, um, When you sign up to be a donor, it's like a living will. It's a gift that is entrusted to the people that do this kind of work to pass on to a recipient. So you can't necessarily identify a specific recipient but when you register, it's considered a gift like anything in will or gift law. Right. It's a it's a legal document that driver's license. Yes. And when once you turn 18, you don't have to have a conversation with anyone. You just no. check the box. That's right. But then what happens? Yeah. So you're 18 years old, mm-hmm. you're in a car accident, mm-hmm. you come to the, you know, you get to the hospital, your mm-hmm. parents are called, mm-hmm. and then you are your brain is dead. Yeah. Your organs are still being, you know, kept alive on a machine. Mm-hmm. The parents are obviously, I can't even imagine what these parents are going exactly. through. Their, their kid mm-hmm. had cereal this morning. Mm-hmm. How do you have that conversation? Yeah. And and is there any, what if the parents say, I don't want to do that? Right. So the challenge that I say to people is it's really better for your family to let your wishes be known. Okay. okay. So what happens is you can get in a situation where the family wants to disagree with your final wishes and they feel it's within their right because they are your parents. Mm -hmm. And what happens is it can cause delays. It can prevent certain people just, just because the organ donation agency is unable to get the information that they need and blocks are being put up. Um, they're, they're trying to be understanding that the family needs some time to accept what's happening. And at the same time, they're legally obligated to fulfill your wish. And so then they become the bad guy trying to honor your wish while your parents are saying, no, they didn't know what they were doing. They didn't really want this. This isn't who they are. They, they told me they didn't want this, whatever the situation is your family can often be shocked and it's an added stressor to them when they're already stressed dealing with your death. Yeah. So having a conversation with them, if you have the self-esteem and self-confidence and self-efficacy and advocacy to say, these are my wishes in the wild chance that this may happen to me. I want I, I, you know, maybe you don't want to be left on life support in a coma for 20 years, which, you know, that's a personal decision. Other people would say, yes, mm-hmm. if, if you can be kept comfortable 
and your organs sustained on mechanical support just for the days it takes to find a good match and to make sure all the healthy screening has been done and to get the transplant team in and all that that stuff that needs to happen. That takes sometimes 24 hours, more likely 72 hours. It's a long process. So just keeping you in the hospital for that length of time will really help often save the lives of one to six people or more, you know, you have the ability to save a lot of people. And if your family's cooperative and they know this is what you want, they're much more likely to say, Hey, this isn't what we'd want for ourselves, but we really want to honor his wish, her wish, their wish. And we don't, we, we want to honor their last wish to be able to help other people and to be a hero. So few people could ever say they saved the life of another human and organ donors save the lives of other humans, you know? Wow. Yeah. So does it happen often that somebody says that they want to be a donor and because of the stress, tension, you know, uh, back and forth with a family that they don't actually end up getting to donate? Um, In the case of organ donation, the U.S. government agency sort of, it's different from country to country, but in the United States, they can move forward even if your family is protesting and saying, they didn't want this. You have to, there has to be independent witnesses that actually saw you say, oh, they signed up for this, but they changed their mind. They need to come forth in order to not, not honor your wishes. So I'm not trying to push anybody to make a decision one way or the other, but I will tell you because I grew up in Canada and the United States and we're a culture that values individual decision-making. I have often joked with my organ donation friends that if my own parents tried to put up a fuss in, you know, and prevent me from being a donor when that's my wish, that I will haunt you as a donation professional because you try to go against my wish. (laughs) Now, legally, they need to pursue whatever options are possible to create the opportunity for donation based off of your legal dying wish, right? Uh, But it's just so uncomfortable for your family and it's so uncomfortable for the donation professionals when there are trying to show proof, look, see, here's his his or her donation thing, or, oh, they signed up on the national registry. They went actually up online or they put it on their iPhone. And here's all the proof that they really did want this. And it's just such a negative experience when most organ donation agencies actually have good bereavement follow-up care that they offer your family and your family's not going to want that because they're going to see them as the enemy that didn't honor their wish and we're so confused so it doesn't happen often but I would say there's probably a a, you know a 10 to 25 percent of the time our staff are really working against the wishes of the family members but for the wishes of the donor and, and it's moved forward into the donation process if all health things go through. This podcast is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing support and education to grieving students everywhere. Inner Harbor provides workshops and trainings for staff and students, teaching you how to support other grievers. So if you are interested in learning more about how we can educate your class your fraternity, your sorority, 
your team, your club, or your agency, go to www.inner-harbor.org to learn more. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and check out all of the other services we offer. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can also sponsor an episode by checking out the sponsorship page on the website. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can go to Apple or Audible Podcasts and leave a review. Now back to the show. I wonder if there are resources for either for parents Mm -hmm. or for, you know, young donors or potential donors, I should say, um, how to start a conversation about, you know, I want to be an organ donor or like, you know, when my son turned 18, I had a conversation with him. Do you want to be an organ donor? Because you're getting your driver's license, 17, sorry. Um, But, you know, (laughs) you have to think about that before you go. Wow. What was that like for you, Mandy? Uh, you know, conversation with your team. Death and dying. (laughs) Well, that's true. (laughs) It's it's like cereal. Probably not the same conversation (laughs) as everybody else's house. (laughs) That's a good point. um, So I knew to do that, but I don't think Mm -hmm. a lot of people necessarily think about it. Their kid gets to the DMV for their first driver's license. It's shocking. Uh Right. And they think, sure, I'll be an organ donor or no, I don't want to be an organ donor and don't Uh really have conversation about it. Mm -hmm. But it sounds like it's really important that you do. Yes. How do you you suggest people? (laughs) Well, there are some good online resources. So there's an agency called Donate Life America, which you can find on donatelife.net. It's one of those odd ones. That's not a .org. It's a .net. Okay. Uh, first of all, there's a national registry. So let's say you don't want to wait to go to the DMV because you know, you're know you not due to renew. Once you've already gotten your driver's license, you've made your decision and you change your mind or something. <laughs> and you're not due to renew for like 25 years. I don't know the last time I had to go into the DMV <laughs> to actually renew, but you can go online to donatelife.net forward slash register, and you can register online and you can pick things like when you register online, you actually have more of a chance to be specific. Okay. So you can say, I want to be an organ donor, but I don't want to donate skin or cornea, or I want to be a cornea donor, but not this, or I want to be, if you can use my heart, great, but but I'm really attached to my kidneys and I want them to go with me, (laughs) whatever you're so strange. I'm I'm sorry. I use a lot of humor in my life, but you can be for whatever reason, like I worked with a family from the Philippines and the liver is such an important part of Philip Philippine culture that it's like the heart. So, so basically they have a saying that when translated says, instead of, I love you from the bottom of my heart, it would be, I love you from the bottom of my liver. So for them, like the most important organ to want to give to another human would be the liver. Mm -hmm. And for others, it's the most important organ to stay with them because they're so protective, right? Just like we might be in America, we tend to be heart focused. So there's that, but you can be very specific about what you want to donate when you register either with your state registry, which they'll look up no matter where you are in the U.S., they'll look up. They'll, they have a, a way, they have access okay. um, before they even bother your family. They already check to see if your wishes are known. If they're not, then your legal next of kin is the one that gets to decide. If you don't have children, that would be your parents. Uh, if you have a spouse, if you're married and, and you're in your 20s, your spouse would decide. Okay. 
So that being said, Donate Life America has resources, they have videos, they have articles, they have information about understanding donation, how you can help. They have resources about how to start the conversation with your family. So, uh, you know, that is a great tool for any of you out there. So I'll just, you know, state my bias. I'm a donor and a potential donor. And I, you know, clearly I understand that you are as well. I am. What about people that are not, that don't want to donate and they want to have that conversation with their kids about what their needs are. Are there resources for them as well? I, I believe so. I'm I'm sure. (laughs) I mean, I would, I would personally say good for you, Mm -hmm. right? You want to make sure that the decision is right for you. Maybe you're like, for me, I'll, I'll give a personal example. I'm really sort of shy and the idea of giving my whole body to medical students to work on. I so admire people that do that. I, you know, I know medical students need that, but for me, the idea of my body being intact and naked for people to see, is just, it's hard for my brain to adjust to. I might get there eventually, but that, that is something that I have said. I, you know, I don't want my body donated to science. Um, So I give that as a, as just to say that it's a personal decision and we have weird hangups when it comes to death awareness. And we have, we have a right to those decisions. We have a right to what medical care we want to have in our life. And we have the right to make a decision about what medical care we want done in death. We have the right to decide if we want to be cremated or buried, or if we would like a party or not a party. So I support all people's decisions. Um, you know, just my, my own bias is, is my bias. <laughs> Do you know, like if the donate life uh, website has information, has information, they probably would have, let me think. Um, they probably would be more focused on the reasons to donate because that's their whole purpose. Permission. But I would imagine there are some Google searching things, you know, there's a dark side to everything and there are conspiracy theories and there are true just people out there maybe who have certain religious beliefs. Like the only religious practice that we know of that is 100% not for donation is a Japanese religion called Shinto. And that is that the whole body must be preserved. Okay. Whereas in the, in the Jewish tradition, there are a variety of mitzvahs, right? Mm -hmm. One of them is to keep your body intact, right? And to protect and to be uh, conscious of the body as a temple, but there's a higher mitzvah that if you can do something to help other people, that's more important. So that's what helps people that are, very even orthodox make decisions that they're okay with being a donor or being a recipient. Would you say that religion is a big player, uh, a big part of why Uh, people do or do not donate? Yes. Yes. However, it's uh, just like, it's a a lot of misinformation, right? So many people think that their religion is not for donation, And when you look at the leaders, national leaders of denominations, there's not one denomination outside of the one that I mentioned in the Japanese culture that would say there's something wrong 
evil or it'll affect your heaven or afterlife if you donate. So, so most of it is misinformation, but I, I will tell you, you know, I, I'm sure no one will ever hear me say this or this particular, <laughs> but we had a family that was very pro donation and they're, they belong to a very small specific sect of Protestant Christianity and that was very controlling and their minister came on site and said, you cannot donate because they actually don't transplant these organs. They take them underground into tunnels and are keeping aliens alive with these organs. Okay. But I wouldn't know any actual denomination of Christianity that would follow that belief system. Right. <laughs> Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so to each their own, but there's no organized religious anti-donation thing. I think it's really personal. Yeah. So for some cultures that are more collective in their decision-making, they believe that the decision is not their own to make and needs to be left to the elders of the tribe or the family And that's a very important thing. It's okay to let this decision be something that your family makes at the time too. And, you know, just share your wishes. If, if you agree that, you know, they don't want it to happen, that's okay too. Just have a conversation about it so that you're all on the same page and not mad. Although, you know, it's, there are teenagers and young adults that really like to do things that their families tell them not to do. Right. So, So you have that legal right in the United States to do it anyway. And your local organ procurement organization will honor your rights to choose. It does really sound like, and I've talked about like advanced directives and things like that on this podcast as well, but it really is a gift to give to your family, to let them know what your wishes are, because Mm -hmm. the unimaginable pain that they're in when there's a sudden death like this, that would enable organ donation to then add this incredible Mm -hmm. decision in Mm -hmm. the most stressful time of their lives um, to to let them know what that decision is and, and remove the burden from them really, really is a gift. Yeah. And, and there, depending on where you are, should you ever become a donor, just know that some of the donation agencies out there have such ways of honoring you and helping your family through grief that you don't get access to from the hospital where you died. You know, sadly, very few hospitals have follow-up bereavement programs. So how are you? I just want to check in and (laughs) I always ask everybody how they're doing. It's been such a year. Yeah. Um, And how are you managing the pandemic? And, you know, um, as somebody that sees clients privately as well, that's a lot too. So it is a lot. how do you take care of yourself? Are you taking care of yourself? Right. You know, the pent. I, I love doing self-care and stress management. It's been a passion of mine predating my grief and loss work. We live in America. As far as I know, no, most people do not have their masseuse brought in by their company, you know, every, at the end of every workday. And so until that starts <laughs> happening, we need to do a better job of taking care of ourselves. Now that said, on my website, postinternationalinc.com, I have a burnout survey. 
And I personally take that once every six months. I usually time it with going to the dentist, even though that can be stressful, just because it's a litmus test twice a year for me. And it's like a mental health checkup. And I retest it. And then I look at the areas of, of stress that I need to work on. The pandemic has been much more stressful for me than I would have expected. It's been great in some ways in that I've been of service in, in different ways than I would have ever imagined through the podcast, online, virtually through my clients. I've seen more people because I'm not spending time in traffic. Yeah, That has taken a toll on me. So, and, and some of the things I used to do for stress management are off the table. I used to love going out dancing and and uh, to bars and restaurants with my friends and travel. Travel was a huge part of my, I had the only New Year's resolution I ever kept for multiple years was that I would take at least a day trip once a month. Mm -hmm. And I kept that up for three years until the pandemic. Wow. And so uh, it has been hard for me. So in addition to the things I already was doing, like I already had a therapist that was working through some of the things that I needed to do to keep my side of the street clean, so I upped the frequency of seeing that person from a few times a month to weekly. Mm-hmm. I have a monthly support group of professionals that I already was in, but that wasn't enough. So I started joining another group of therapists, peer therapists, and we meet every other week. I also relocated my body to a place where I wasn't in quite as crowded of a place. And I have a backyard that I can go into with a pool and just enjoy a city version of nature. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. So that was really important. I've taken back a couple hobbies that I had let go of. Like I started painting again and I started off with paint by number. If you don't think you're an artist, you can do a paint by number, trust me. And they're <laughs> not that expensive. Right. I started learning how to play some games with friends online. And I just really needed to be more intentional about all of that. And I'm still working it through. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, I'm, I have a vaccine now. I'm starting, I'm in Florida now. So they, it's much lighter here, like it or not, it's much lighter. (laughs) So I get to move around the state more and at least do car trips or Mm -hmm. local trips. So I'm starting to spread out a little bit now that I'm vaccinated and it's, and, and I have a, I have a really wonderful romantic partner. He's a nurse, Brian, nurse Brian is like my savior. I swear, (laughs) nurse Brian. You know, he's that always trying to get me to do stuff to take care of myself. And I'm like, do I really need to call the doctor about that? And he's like, I'm not trying to give you medical advice, Michelle, but he just said that at lunch today, <laughs> but you probably should get that thing checked out. So, um, you know, it helps to have a partner that keeps you accountable or friends that keep you accountable. People you can be really transparent with when you're vulnerable. I journal and write and write poetry. That's a big part of my self-care, but that always has been, that's not new. So I just would say like, for me, the life changes of the pandemic, it's been great for my psychotherapy career. Mm -hmm. It's been really hard. People have, have told me some really intense stories and I process it through my body. And, oh, that's another thing that I started is, um, I found an affordable massage person that's covered by my insurance. And I go once a month. Nice. That's amazing. <laughs> so I just went this morning. No wonder I'm in a good mood. Uh, um, this was my monthly checkup. So if you're struggling, it's challenging and it's okay. Um, make a playlist of music that encourages you when you've got a deadline. I do that all the time. Um, you know, watch funny TV shows, play, have fun. But but it is it is hard if you're having a difficult time. You're not alone. 
there are people out there that can relate to you and support you. I, I, I hope you know that. I hope your listeners know that. I hope so too. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I mean, honestly, like as challenging as the pandemic has been for so many of us, including yourself, you also realize that you need to up the self-care. And that's really the point. Um, you know, we can't avoid the challenges, but um, we can, you know, try to take as good care of ourselves as we can. And I appreciate all of the steps that you're doing to stay healthy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a process. Absolutely. Progress, not perfection, as they say in 12 steps. Progress, yeah. not perfection. For sure. <laughs> if people have other questions or want to reach out to you, how can they yeah. do that? Uh, the easiest way is to reach me through my website, either email me or call me. There's links on there and, or, you know, Instagram me or Facebook me that it's all on my website, which is postinternationalinc.com. I'm so glad I had an opportunity to talk to Michelle today. Next week on podcast, I'll be speaking with Megan Ashley. She is a blogger, life coach, and podcaster living in Baltimore, Maryland. She witnessed her mother's murder and survived an attempted murder in June of 2006 at 18 years old. She is currently in the process of writing a memoir about that night, her journey through grief, and how it's affected her life and mental health. And I'm really excited to hear her story next week. So join us for that. In the meantime, thank you to Michelle. And thank you, as always, to Stephen Bluestein for audio production. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.